Well, good morning. Man, it's so good to be with you. We have our South Campus, North Campus, love being with you, our online family that's in the region and all over the United States, all, all around the world, literally. It is such a joy to be with you. If you're not uh, really familiar with Beltway Park, we exist for one reason. We want to help people take their next life-giving steps with Jesus. That's what we do. None of us have arrived. None of us are there, but we're all on a journey to everything Jesus has for us. And we believe that as we stay in step with Jesus, he does incredible things in our lives that lead to things like freedom. Now think about that word for a minute. Of all the words we like as Americans, come on, we love the word freedom. And of the words that are causing struggles in our society right now, we struggle with the word freedom. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. It's hard to miss all the disagreements that have to do with the pandemic. Let me just throw out a few words, see how you feel. Mask. Vaccines. Mandates. Feeling your blood pressure rise just a little bit, right? And all this debate about what has to do with our freedom, what is our freedom, what is not our freedom, what is imposing on our freedoms, etc. I'll be honest with you. I don't have all the pandemic issues figured out, especially in regards with our nation's history and our constitution and freedoms like that. I've been asking the Father what he wants to show me about this, and I, again, I don't have a lot about those specific, but I do think the Lord has given me one revelation. I think he has shown me that he has given us as his children an opportunity to shine as who we are in this day and age. I think the Father is giving his children the opportunity to walk by a different spirit than is the spirit of the age, especially when we have someone we disagree with. Think about the spirit of the age. Is it not angry, verbally abusive, and it seeks to destroy anyone who disagrees with you? But the spirit we carry as Jesus followers, the Holy Spirit is a different spirit. And we are a people who will do two things at one time, holding them in tension. We are going to stand for the truth of God revealed in Scripture. Amen? But at the same time, we are going to, by the anointing of the same Spirit, radically love, honor, and respect people, even those with whom we fundamentally disagree. The passages that keep coming to me for this season, maybe they're for you, I know they're for me. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Love one another with great affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. James chapter 3. With the tongue we praise our Lord, our, our Lord and Father, just like we did this morning in our songs. And with it we curse humans who have been made in God's likeness. So with the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. See, these verses speak about all our interactions, whether those interactions are in person or online. And they challenge us to go overboard in showing honor to go overboard in showing respect. Even if someone's being disrespectful for us, we don't respond in kind. We respond by the Spirit of God. If someone responds abusively, we don't have to respond that way because we want to make sure we show the heart of Jesus to everyone, even those with whom we fundamentally disagree. And I am telling you, the word freedom is one of those words on which people are fundamentally disagreeing right now. But it's not just about the pandemic issues. It goes far deeper than that. One of the foundational issues people have with Christianity is that it is said that it limits freedom. I hear people ask a question all the time. A very common question is this, is not Christianity too restrictive? 
Some say that Christianity is like a straitjacket and it keeps us bound. It keeps us from being free. And our tendency right now, because we're in church, whether in church means online or in person, it matters not, our tendency is just to dismiss the question. Our tendency is to say, this is not the kind of question we are supposed to be asking. But interestingly, the Apostle Paul asked the question. The Apostle Paul to the first century church actually corrected them for something. He corrected them for being too strict. Galatians chapter 5, I hope you'll read the chapter maybe sometime this week. But he starts the chapter by saying, it is for freedom. Somebody say freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So in the first century church, you had two basic groups of people. You had Jews who had accepted Jesus as the prophesied Messiah. And you had non-Jews, Gentiles, who had embraced Jesus as the Savior of the world. The apostles believed they had revelation from God that Gentiles, the non-Jews, were not called to live by the um, ceremonial laws and the sacrificial laws given by Moses to the Jews. They actually spread that throughout the church. You can read about it in the 15th chapter of Acts. But there were Jews who said they believed in Jesus who disagreed with the apostles. And they said non-Jews, the Gentiles, needed to submit themselves to the sacrificial and ceremonial laws. So what would happen is this. The apostle Paul and his team, others were doing this as well, were going around to different places in the Roman Empire, primarily Gentile, and they were declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. People were embracing Jesus. They were gathering together in churches to walk with one another, to help each other take their next steps. Paul and his team would leave, and these supposed Jesus followers would come in behind them and look at the people who were new followers of Jesus and say, hey, the Apostle Paul, he did you a solid, man. He told you about Jesus, but he led you astray when he told you you didn't have to obey the law. You need to obey all the law that was given to Moses, the sacrificial, the ceremonial law, and especially this thing called circumcision, to which Paul basically shouts, don't let yourself be bound by rules that God didn't give you. You see, in the first century church, they were struggling with making rules that God didn't give. Do you think we in the 21st century church have ever done that? Have there ever been times that we maybe made up rules where God didn't give rules? Then maybe we have to confess that we were too strict. I can remember growing up, and there was a mantra for Christian manhood. I don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew. And I don't go out with girls that do. And that's an interesting phrase given that the Bible nowhere prohibits um, tobacco or alcohol. Now, the Bible absolutely prohibits drunkenness, but not drinking. But to ensure that some people never got drunk, people began to make a rule that you can never drink. So I, I've had people ask me often, Pastor, do you know that there are ashtrays outside the doors of our churches in the physical campuses? Some of you are at the physical locations are going to have to start looking for the ashtrays, right? They're actually a little bit of ways away because of city ordinances and things. But we have them. They'll say, do you know we have those ashtrays? And I go, yeah, I do. And they go, why? I said, well, when people smoke a cigarette, they have ashes and they need some place to put those ashes. And when they finish, they have a thing called a button. We'd rather not be on the ground. And so we give them an ashtray. But pastor, smoking's a sin. Really? Why? The Bible says so. Really? I've read it like a lot of times, and it nowhere mentions the idea of tobacco. Well, well, doesn't it say that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? 
And we need to make sure we take care of God's spirit, of God's temple. Absolutely. And when you get that chicken fried steak plank out of your own eye, then you can go after the cigarette splinter in your brother's eye. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Now, don't mishear me. Do I want you to smoke? No. I don't want anything in our life that hinders the abundance that Jesus died for us to have, whether in our body, whether our soul, in our spirit. And so I want us free from anything that keeps that from happening, whether it's dip, whether it's uh, cigarettes, or whether it's about 75% of a Southern diet. You know what I'm saying? But what we can't do is this. We can't take a biblical principle and start making an arbitrary list of unbiblical rules and say we have to live by those rules. See, there's times that Christians have made things way too strict, stricter than Jesus did. In the name of things like holiness and modesty, big principles in scripture. People have made all sorts of rules in days gone by. No TV, no movies, or the more spiritual one today is not a certain rating of movie can you watch. No dice, not even for Yahtzee, no cards, nothing like that. Now, again, are there things on TV that you shouldn't be watching? Absolutely. Are there things in movies we don't need to engage in? Of course. Are there things in music, even secular music, that we shouldn't be listening to? We know that. But we cannot say that everything on TV, everything in movies, everything in all music that is not Christian is somehow bad or wrong, especially when the Scripture doesn't do it. I was once talking to some older staff members in the church I was part of, so we're talking about it a long time ago. And they were part of what was called the holiness movement. Uh, great history, did a lot for the gospel, cause of the gospel in the United States. But they said when preachers started talking about holiness and modesty, they called it clothesline preaching. Because all they talked about was external things. What you could wear, what you could not wear, what you could look like, or what you not, maybe not look like. Like how long could a man's hair be? They had rules for that. How short could a woman's hair be? They had rules. Could you wear shorts or not wear shorts? Could a woman... Um, wear pants or did she have to wear dresses all the time? Makeup or no makeup? Just for the record, I'm for makeup. <laughs> Anybody there, you know what I'm saying? To be honest with you, we really have it backwards. If you look at our species, it's the men who need the makeup. We are the uglier, uglier of the two. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying we need to get makeup. I don't want it. I like taking 15 minutes to get ready. And all the men said... But here's what you get when you do that, right? There's just not much. See, what we have done in history, in days gone by, is we've made these rules. We've made things stricter than God has. So when the question is asked, is Christianity too restrictive, what we have to say is this. Sometimes Christians, not Christianity, sometimes Christians, we must confess, have fallen prey to the spirit of religion and we have made things stricter than what is revealed by God in the Scripture. Every generation of Jesus' followers have wrestled with this. The first century and even to today. But throughout the centuries, when Jesus' followers have discovered that we've been too strict, we've been unbiblically strict, we've fallen prey to the spirit of religion, what we tend to do is we tend to swing the pendulum to the other extreme and say that there are no boundaries whatsoever. That is what the Apostle Paul knew was likely to happen in the church in Corinth. He said it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. But he knew they had this opportunity they might misinterpret it. So he goes on to say later, for you were called to freedom. Somebody shout freedom. You were called freedom, brothers and sisters. Only 
Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for, that's a big word here, the flesh. And that is exactly what we see happening today. People using the concept of freedom, even quoting the scripture, to basically say, I can do what I want whenever I want. Basically, the definition of freedom that a lot of people are given is that each individual has the right to decide what is moral or immoral for him or herself. This is the way the conversation goes. I'm going to give you some quotes. I took those from Timothy Keller, but I've had a lot of these conversations. We'll be talking about issues about faith. Often in our geographic region, we're talking to, I'm talking to someone who is talking about deconstructing their faith, having these questions like, isn't Christianity too strict? And the person will say something to the effect of this. Every person has to define right and wrong for him or herself. Now, let's be honest. That sounds enlightened, doesn't it? It sounds progressive. It appeals to something inside of us. It, in essence, is that phrase that says, any theology, any philosophy, any ideology, any religion that put restrictions on my life is too strict, including Christianity. And normally I look at them and say, man, I get that. Let me ask you a question. Is there anyone in the world right now doing things you believe they should stop doing, no matter what they personally believe about their correctness of their behavior? Is there anyone out there in the world doing anything that you would say is wrong? And, and they will always say, well, yeah, always they'll say that. Of course there are things that people are doing in the world that they shouldn't be doing. And then I ask, doesn't that mean that you believe there's some kind of moral reality that is there, that exists outside the person, that is not defined by us, that must be followed no matter what a person feels or thinks? And they get silent. Because no one deep down believes that there is a life to be lived without boundaries. There are restrictions. Even groups of people who say we exist for the inclusion of all, every one of them have boundaries. Every community has restrictions. Years ago, I was having a wonderful conversation with a great lady. Um, she was one of the leaders of what's called the Abilene Interfaith Council. So again, it was incredible, it was respectful, it was honorable, um, and we disagreed fundamentally on a lot of things. And because of the nature of our conversation, she actually invited me to be part of the Abilene Interfaith Council. Now realize the Abilene Interfaith Council gathers people from different religions. I'm not talking about, not talking about different Christian denominations, not Baptist, Church of Christ, Pentecostals, etc. I'm talking about Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims and Christians and Jews and the like who meet to understand each other and accept each other where they are. So she invited me because of the nature of our conversation to be a part. And I said, so you're saying I can come be a part of this and I get to be who I am and they all get to be who they are no matter what that is. And she says, absolutely. We all come without any compromise of our beliefs. We accept each other just as we are. I said, okay, so let me be very clear about this. I'm an evangelical Christian. She nodded her head. I believe that the only way somebody can be right with God is through Jesus Christ and accepting him as their savior. And if you have a question about that question, go back two weeks, and we talked about that two weeks ago. As an evangelical Christian, I told her, I believe that it is my compelling of my love of Jesus and my love for fellow humanity that I must tell people that God made a way for them to be right with him through Jesus Christ. I want to share with them what Jesus Christ did with them and I want to invite them to become a follower of Jesus so that they can have the abundant life Jesus wants them to have. She had like the look of a deer in the headlights and she said, so it is part of your faith 
to try to convert somebody from another way of life or another religion to Christianity. And I go, ma'am, it's not part of my faith. It is foundational to my faith. And she was real sweet and real kind, and she said, I don't think you'd be a good fit for our group. (laughs) And she was absolutely correct. And she made the right call to say that I wasn't a part of that. Because see, every group, listen to me, everyone has restrictions. Everyone has boundaries. Tim Keller said it so well. The idea of totally inclusive community is an illusion. Every human community holds in common um, some beliefs that necessarily create boundaries. Boundaries that include some people and exclude others from its circle. In other words, listen to me. When we ask the question, does Christianity have restrictions? Absolutely, because every community does. Every community has restrictions of some form or kind. So Christianity is no different than that. And I'll go so far as to say, at every person, no person truly believes that freedom means every individual has the right to decide for his or herself what is right or wrong. And you may be saying, no, David, that's not right. I believe that every person can make their own decision what's moral and immoral. I will challenge that you don't. Because if you went home today, assuming you're at our physical campus and not at home online right now, but assuming you go home some point and your house has been broken into and somebody has stolen your stuff, would you feel violated? Everyone will feel violated. But if you say that every individual has the right to decide for his or herself what is right or wrong, then you don't have a right to be violated because you would have to say, well, I think it's wrong to steal, but the person who broke into my house, it may not be wrong for them to steal. Therefore, it's okay, and I have to accept it the way things are. And no one's ever going to do that. Because innate to every human is the spark of the image of God. And we have a sense of what is right and wrong. So to the question, is Christianity too restrictive? At times we have to say, well, yes, Christians have at times made Christianity too strict, but Christianity itself is no more restrictive than any other religion. Well, does it have restrictions? Does Christianity have restrictions? Absolutely. Restrictions are necessary to be free. Think with me. Something not uncommon in our world is to get a pet goldfish. Here's how pet goldfish come around. This is how, like, PetSmart and all those places make all their money off their goldfish. A kid will come up to you and say, I want a puppy. I will feed it. I will care for it. I will walk it. I will clean up after it. I promise, I promise, I promise. I want one. Now, we're parents. We're not dumb. We know after about a week we're going to be feeding feeding it and caring for it and walking and picking up its you-know-what, right? And so we compromise. And say, instead of getting a puppy, let's get a fish. Why? Because it's a lot easier to feed. It's a lot easier to care for. And its lifespan is a lot shorter than that of a puppy. You parents don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about, right? Get in mind the goldfish. Let's say the goldfish can go all Nemo on us, can begin to talk. And the goldfish says, I'm tired of all the restrictions on my existence. All the hindrances that are keeping me from everything I need to be. Restrictions like water. I want to be free. So we free Nemo from the restrictions that he thinks is keeping him from what he wants. Then we take him out of the water. What is the result? That which he thought would bring him life does the opposite. 
it brings destruction. In many cases, confinement and constraint is actually a means to liberation. Freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones, the liberating restrictions. Those restrictions that fit with the reality of our nature, if I may, fit with the reality of the way we are designed and the way the world was designed, produce greater power and scope for our abilities and a deeper joy and a deeper fulfillment. Hear me, this is the Christian message. Freedom isn't the absence of restrictions. Freedom is the power to live as God designed. And every one of us want that. Because reality is when we are living as we are designed to live, it is a life of satisfaction, joy, life, and peace. And that's what every human longs for. Christianity makes an outrageous claim. God wants every human to have the very best. God designed life so that we could live it to its fullest. We started in a place called Eden. Perfection. But we use the power of choice that God gave to us. Out of his love, he gave us the power to choose. And we chose not to love. We chose not to trust him. We sinned. Hear that word. Interestingly, what many people call freedom today is what the Bible calls sin. God doesn't hate sin because he wants to restrict us from what is good. He hates sin because he knows that which we think will give us life and liberty really brings destruction to our life. We sinned in the world. Sin is the reason our world is so messed up. Sin is the reason there is decay and there's destruction and there's suffering. Some will say that the messed up nature of our world is evidence that God doesn't have love and he doesn't have all power. I'm telling you, the messed up nature of our world isn't evidence of God's lack of love or his lack of power. The messed up nature of our world is that it is evidence of humanity trying to live life without God. But God did something radical. God loved and when you love, you restrict. If you enter into a loving relationship, you create restrictions. Over 37 years ago, I stood at the front of a church in the panhandle of Texas. And my beautiful 19-year-old bride walked down the aisle. Some of you are saying, please don't. Some of you parents are saying, don't say 19 ever again because I have an 18-year-old daughter, right? I get it. Were we too young? Probably, but God was gracious. And she was coming down the aisle for me. And I was watching for her. And we made a, beyond a commitment to each other, we made a covenant. Which is why next weekend we're doing the XO conference, because we want to grow in our covenant with each other. Just a tool to give you. And when I said I do to her, and she said I do to me, we both, by function, said no to everyone else. This is radical. In my marriage, I don't get to date other women. I know that seems odd to some of you. It's like, really? You're not very free, are you? Well, ah, yeah. Because love has restrictions. It's the nature of all relationships. When you love, you restrict. God, who has no boundaries. He who alone is without limits. He saw how messed up we were because of our sin. But he loved so deeply he restricted himself. He restricted himself to become this. Flesh. Blood. Bound by time. He 
who could see the beginning from the end, who could see it all at the same time, now lived moment by moment by moment just like we do. He was tempted in every way just as we are, but he didn't sin. And then he, who was the only one that never deserved to die, placed himself upon the cross. And he invited all the sin of the world upon himself, past, present, and future. He took it upon himself, paid the penalty, satisfied the justice of God and the wrath of God, and he is buried in that ground. Death that would separate us from ever for God, and I believe he went to hell itself. Three days later, he rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave, holding the keys of death and Hades, the revelation says. And then he looks at all of us and says, I want you to have everything I designed you to ever have. I want you to be free, to live as I made you. All you got to do is come follow me. It is why we are told in Galatians, for you were called to freedom. Somebody shout freedom. Brothers and sisters, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but what? Through love, serve one another. We restrict ourselves. And Paul wanted to make sure we understood what he meant by the flesh, for the works of the flesh are evident. We know what they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you. As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not have all I designed you to have. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why does God warn us about the flesh? We know it's evident. Because there's enough of us that have been drunk. And it never turns out like it does in the movies, does it? We know the, we know the emptiness of sexual immorality. We know the destruction to our souls that envy brings. We know the destruction to relationships that fits of rage bring. See, we know it's evident from experience the works of the flesh keep us from the best God designed us to have because they violate the way we were made. Listen, we were made to be like him. That is how we were designed. We were made to live in the likeness of God as much as a fish was designed for water. And our Father, because he loves us so much, he tells us about that design. He commands things. He prohibits things. He gives us principles because he says, this is the way I made you. Our Father prohibits things for our good, just like any earthly father would. And our Father commands things for our good, just like any good earthly father. And so if you ask the question, does Christianity have restrictions? Absolutely, because we have a Father that loves us so deeply. He wants us free, and he did what it would take so he can empower us to live life the way we were designed to live it. And when we live the way he designed us to live, guess what the fruit is? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. How many want some joy in their life right now? Let's add a little peace to it. Let's add a little patience. Some of you are saying, I ain't going to ask for that. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Deep down, every person on planet Earth is looking to be like that. That is what we long for. This is what it means to be free. When I can love 
no matter what somebody else does, when I can have joy despite the situation, when I can have peace despite the circumstance, when I can have patience to see what God might do in the life of someone when they can't see it for himself, on and on I could go. This is what we were designed to do. It is why Paul says those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Living by the flesh, living by the sinful nature, it destroys us. See, that's when we agree with God and we say no to the things of the flesh. Instead, we know this, since life is found by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit is the image of a dance. I mean, you you know what dancing looks like. You have a man and a woman moving in unison together. That is the goal. I'll be really honest with you. I don't dance well. I don't dance well because I don't have rhythm. Now, truth is, I can hear the beat of music. It's pretty clear. I just can't make my body follow that beat. It is an impossibility. If you stuck me up here right now, started playing music, and tried to get me to clap on the beat, I can't clap. If you get right beside me and start clapping on the beat, I can clap with you if there's enough. But if anybody goes awry, I'm in trouble. I I can't do it. Some of you are old enough to remember the movie Mr. Holland's Opus. You remember that movie? Great old movie if you want to watch it. And there's a football player he's trying to teach rhythm to, so he puts a helmet on his head and starts beating on him in rhythm with a, a drumstick. That's what I need. But I've actually tried stuff like that. It doesn't work. And to be honest with you, for the most part, I don't care. I mean, it's okay. It's just of all the things I can't do in life, I don't have rhythm. I can go on and do a lot of other things in life. I'm great with that. Only one problem. There are events that we attend where my girl wants to dance. And for the longest time as a young man, I just wouldn't do it. Because I'm not only bad, I'm inept. I mean, I just don't have capacity at all. That's not an overstatement. You can ask anybody in my family. It's okay. And then finally, sometime down the road, I decided, you know what? She's worth being inept for in dancing. It's a word for some of you young men, by the way. And so I said, I'll dance. And so we get out on the floor, and she grants me the honor of being the traditional role of the leader in the dance. But it's a ruse, I'm telling you right now, because I am in no way leading, nor should I be, because I'm utterly incapable of it. She is the one that has the ability to do that. The way we were designed to live was in a dance with our Creator. I mean, think how much He loves us that He would want to do that with us. He would just want to live life so close that we're moving in unison together. And He is so great that He has the ability to be unique with all of us to do something unique and something different in the midst of being who he is. And he invites us into that reality. See, when it comes to our existence, no one knows how to lead us to life like the Spirit of God. He designed it all. And just in case we think somehow he's not for us, he showed the enormity of his heart for you and I by what he did on the cross. And he said, I did that so that you can be free. It is for freedom I set you free. It is so you can live as I designed you to live that I came and did what I did. So stand firm. Stand with me. Keep in step with me. Don't be bound to the yoke of slavery again. Don't live by the things of the flesh. 
He says freedom comes as we day by day yield to more than his capable leadership. Christianity is pretty simple. You take your next step. Better yet, you keep in step with the Spirit. And more and more we find what it is we long for in life. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads. Everyone right now, North Campus, South Campus, online, family, unless you're driving. If you're driving, you keep your head up. You start praying anyway. We don't bow our heads because the Bible tells you, by the way, that's how you have to pray. It does. The Bible doesn't give us a posture of prayer. It gives us examples of different ways you can pray. Bowing your head, by the way, is not one of them in the Bible. So we're not making a rule, okay? No extra rules. But it is a way to stay focused. It's just practical. So maybe bow your heads for a moment right now. Just a few things I want to pray for before we go. Maybe you've been a part of religion in days gone by, a strictness, and you found yourself reacting. You just want to live by what's called grace. And I charge you that we are to live like Jesus did, full of both grace and truth. To absolutely embrace what Jesus says is true, but to walk in grace with all people. And for some reason, that's a conviction to you right now. And you say, I, I, I've maybe reacted in one extreme over the other. And I want to walk in both grace and truth. Just put your hand up right now and say, God, give me grace to walk in more grace and more truth. Put them up right now. Come on. You can put your hands down. Maybe you know that the way you need to treat those who are in disagreement with you is with more honor where you won't even be, have a grace to go even further, to outdo one another in showing honor, to show love to all people. We don't return evil for evil. We return good for evil. We don't return disrespect with disrespect. We give respect where there's disrespect. We give honor even when dishonor is sown. And if you want to make a commitment to walk of a different spirit in this day, that's the fruit of the spirit. Fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It doesn't say only when somebody agrees with you. The fruit of the Spirit is easy until you have somebody difficult in your life. Then it becomes something. And if you say, I just want to walk in that. I want to walk with a sense of honor in all that I do more than I ever have. Put your hand up right now. Say, God, give me grace to walk in that honor. Yeah, spirit of honor. You can put your hands down. Big one. You want to stay in step with the Spirit more than you ever have. You want grace, not just to do it, right after church on Sunday, not just right after your quiet time on Tuesday, but the whole day. I want it more and more in my life. I have to confess that I'm pretty good for 30 minutes after my quiet time. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon that I can struggle. I want it all. And you say, man, I want grace to stay in step with the Spirit so I can live more and more free the way God designed. Put your hand up high and say, God, give me grace to stay in step with your Spirit. Yeah. Put your hands down. One last one. I just know there may be people who've never yielded to the leadership of Jesus. What you think is this, that I, I have to come to church more and get my act together and do enough good things, and then maybe God will accept me. And I'm just telling you, that's not the way it works. We Our, our, our righteousness, the Bible says, are like filthy rags. Our good works are nothing. The way you get right with God is submitting we say, God, I, I messed up and I can't fix myself, but Jesus did something for me I can never do for myself. I give myself to you and I'll just live by your leadership. And Jesus says he'll give us life, that the moment we do that, he changes us from darkness to light, from an object of the wrath of God to a son or a daughter of God. It's an amazing transformation and it can happen today. 
can happen in any of our campuses. It can happen online. Maybe you know what I need to do. I am willing to commit myself to Jesus Christ. Now, are there restrictions with that? Absolutely. It's what love does. But they will lead to life. They're the liberating restrictions. And if you've never given your life to Jesus and you say, man, I want to do it right now. I want to make that commitment to him. When I hit three, I'm going to count to three. I hit three, you put your hand up. We'll put it down and we'll tell you something you need to do afterwards. You ready? One, two, three. Put your hand up if you need to receive Jesus. Come on. Yeah, we got people here. we got people all around. Praise be to God. That is awesome. Awesome. Anyone else? Awesome. You can put your hands down. Y'all can stay with your heads bowed, but give them a round of applause. Tell them how proud you are. Come on. That is awesome. Now, if you raise your hand at either campus after service, you receive Jesus, I want you to come talk to one of our prayer partners. You just come down here. Don't have to say we're going to dismiss service first. You come down here talk to one of them. And Father, I pray for over all of us. Man, we rejoice with those who have yielded themselves to you. We celebrate with the celebration going on in heaven. Now give us all grace to stay in step with you. We want to live life the way you've called us to live life. So fill us with your spirit once again. Fill us fresh. Fill us new. Let us have grace to stay in step with you and live free, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.